Good morning. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I know there's still people coming in. We're just going to start announcements a couple, a couple minutes early. Um, I don't know how your day's going, but I just got a flat tire and I had to pull into the Liberty Buick parking lot. So I have a AAA guy waiting for me. So I'm taking Nana's car and I'm going right after this. Um, thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, if you're new, welcome. If you're not new, good to see you again. Uh, we are back for week two of Bible study. Um, I just have a couple of announcements. Shannon is going to be speaking at North Hills Church on Sunday. She's excited about it. Um, she's going to be speaking um, on a psalm. So uh, it's just short message, like 20 minutes. I think that's my AAA guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> should I answer? <laughs> Hello, this is Taylor. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm on my way. I'll be there in two minutes. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Um, so she'll be speaking at North Hills on uh, Sunday. And uh, follow her on social media. And I will hope you have a great Tuesday. We got it together today. Doesn't this just give you hope? Is your life like this? Oh, my gosh. My mother just walked in. I, well, Taylor called me and said she had a flat tire, and she said, I'm literally one mile from the church. And so I'm sending her contacts, maybe of people who could help. And then I called my mother, and I'm like, hey, Mom, go pick up Taylor. I go, she just had a flat tire. She's got Violet. She's one minute away from the church. And so then they bring her, and then my mother gets here and doesn't have her Bible, doesn't have. I'm like, it's just like whatever. And I go, well, it doesn't matter. I go, do you have your noodle? And she goes, not really. And I said, well, you better pray that I have mine because, you know, it's a little scary. Um, this, And I am looking forward to speaking at North Hills. She's joking because, I mean, it is stressful. I have things in a row, right? And, um, and this one, uh, it was really interesting because I, I didn't get the theme until last week. So I'm like stressing like where we headed, you know. And then they give me <laughs> Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Okay. And it's a messianic psalm. And uh, to be quite honest, I was like, oh, my gosh, because I spoke last weekend and I'm studying this week. And then I have to now prepare a new message for Sunday. And so I was stressing out and, um, and I'm not in I'm in a funk. Uh, my son's birthday is Thursday. So ugh, it is a bad week. So when she says she's looking forward to it, it's not that I'm not looking forward to it. It's just that. But then I'm like, oh, yeah. How about on this week I get my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And then I thought, well, you know what? It's probably the Holy Spirit. Because who in the world could teach that any better? <laughs> because uh, the psalm teaches us how to pray through grief. Uh, it teaches us to acknowledge our emotions which a lot of times we tell y'all, you know, all about your emotions and that feelings aren't facts and we're not slaves to them. And all of that is true, but feelings are important. And so you have to pray through those feelings to get to the truth. And that is the Psalm. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 22 is our Savior had to do the same. And that he understands all that it is to be human. When you want to cry out and say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And when we as human beings have to figure out how to live between the two statements that in this world you will have trouble, 
but take heart, I've overcome, this wor- uh, overcome the world. And we have to somehow meld that in this world you will have trouble with the statement that I have come so that you could have life abundantly. How can those two things, when you've had great tragedy, ever be true at the same time? And you see it in the psalm. Because it's in the psalm that we see that you can hold deep, deep, deep sorrow. And somehow, in the other, still hold joy. So that's the rub. Okay, now I'm done crying. Maybe not. So this last weekend, I was in Idaho speaking to 10 Mile Church, which they were a joy. They were so amazing. And my friend Mary Landreth, who used to be a part of Bible study, and I've known Mary for 12 years, taught her kids, taught taught Mary. I used to make fun of her all the time because she's gotten that inquisitive mind. She would text me all the time before Bible study and like list 10 questions she hopes that I was going to answer in regard to certain scripture. So uh, she's such a kick, and she might be one of the most creative people I've ever known in my life. But we had such fun together, but I got to tell you one funny thing that'll probably get me out of my weepiness right now. We were on uh, Friday when I came in, she picked me up at the airport and I was speaking Saturday morning. So we had a little time together before we were going to meet the women from the church for dinner. And lately I have been watching my macros. Okay. And if y'all don't know that, that just means I was feeling, well, I wasn't just feeling, I was fluffy. Okay. Like, do you know when you're pushing stuff to the limit, like you're in the same size, but it don't look the same. And the fact is, I need to get my butt in gear. And so I started with diet because I've been remodeling a dang house and I haven't been walking and running and doing all that. And it just makes me so mad how long it takes to look good and how very short of a time it takes to fall off the dang wagon. And so I was in a funk and I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm tired of being fluffy. And so, uh, (laughs) and now I'm married, and so I'm not the only one that sees the fluffy, and that's a problem. You can edit that out, please. But you know what I'm saying, okay? It It is not fun, by the way, starting over in midlife. Can I just say? So you just think about that. You You have been with your man maybe since you were 20, and I look good back then. And you grow old together. And you get a little fluffy together. And if you match, I think it's perfect. I got a little love handle. You got a little love handle. We're all good, right? And then you have babies. And so you get fluffy. We change as women. We spread. And it's okay because he still thinks you're cute. He has to because you bore his children, right? But then if you're like me, stuff happens. And now all of a sudden you're looking at another man who didn't see you when you were 20, and you did not have his children. Okay, that, it makes you a little insecure. Are you with me? No? Anybody relate? Okay. You know, and maybe y'all don't match. I don't know. You know, you got to kick one of you in gear and say, come on, care. Care about you and care about me. Let's keep this good. Right? So anyway, after all that, I was fluffy. So I decided to watch my macros, which means I'm trying to eat a balanced diet that can sustain. So that means I eat a certain number of proteins, a certain number of carbs, and a certain number of fats. And and half of you are like, I'm already out of this conversation. Okay? Well, 
that, here's the thing. I can't not eat carbs because I'm mean, okay? And I'm not made for that, and I need energy. And so that whole keto thing, no thank you. And I'm not going to starve, and I'm not going to drink my diet because I like to chew, okay? And I'm social, so I need to be able to go out with some people and still eat on a try to eat as healthy as you can. So I have been doing this. Well, in this situation, at some point, you get a cheat day. So this was what I was thinking about when Mary Landreth and I were walking into this coffee shop, and I'm talking to her along the way, and I said, I'm going to tell you something. I cannot wait for my cheat day. I said, because I am going to knock it out. I, I am cheating with Freddy's. Like that? Okay, so then <laughs> we're walking, and all of a sudden this man is walking like beside of us, and then I proceed to say, because I'm telling you what, I love Freddy's cheeseburgers. They are so good, crispy and flat and greasy, and I love those little stringy French fries that are crisp. And the whole thing, and the man stopped. He turned around, he goes, excuse me, not to get in y'all's conversation or anything. I always love that. I am so glad I stuck around for you to say something about cheeseburgers and french fries because I thought you were having a cheat day and cheating with Freddie. <laughs> and he said, I just stalled so I could hear the rest of the conversation because I had never heard anybody just out and out going, I can't wait to have a cheat day because I'm cheating with Freddy's. And we started laughing, and I'm like, oh, my Atlanta, no. I said, I'm, I've been chunky, and I'm trying to eat right. And I said, I'm cheating with Freddy's cheeseburgers and french fries. And we just died laughing. It was like what I needed at the time uh, because Mary's had great loss too. And so we were in a club together we wish we were not in. And anyway, we just died laughing. So I could not wait to share that with y'all. I was like, just in case, you know, always stick around for the whole conversation. Because you can never under, you know, the perspective. You may have the wrong perspective. I'll tell you another funny story while I'm on a roll. I'm, it's going to be half comedy, half Bible today. But Rob and I were walking uh, <laughs> out of church one day. I was telling the high schoolers this. It was so funny. We're walking out of church one day, and we're holding hands and just walking uh, at, through the, the grill, a CCV area right there. And all of a sudden, I'm walking and a bird poops all down my arm. <laughs> Stuff like this happens to me because God knows I need good material. I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but stuff happens to me. Y'all know this all the time. And I, so we're holding hands, the bird poops, it's nasty, poops all down my arm. And I go, well, Rob doesn't even say anything. He just lets go of my hand, and he storms towards the grill, okay, because he's going to get me something to wipe this nastiness off my arm, okay? So when he does, I turn to see where he's going, and when I do, I see Mark Moore's daughter and her friends sitting at the table, and they're looking straight at me, and I go, did y'all see that? Like that, and they're just, they're just sitting there not saying anything to me. So I walk over there and I go, what's up? And they're like, what? 
And then I showed him the bird poop on my arm, and they started laughing. They said, Shannon, do you want to know what we saw? I said, sure, what'd you saw? What'd you, what'd you saw? I'm from Arkansas. Well, I seen, no, <laughs> everybody I know from Arkansas says, I seen, and I'm like, no, it is not, I seen. But they go, we were sitting at the table, and y'all were walking out, and one of the gals goes, that's such a pretty couple right there. And she said, and I looked over and I went, wait a minute, that is Shannon Hoffpower. And she said, I no more got that out of my mouth than all of a sudden you guys let go of each other's hands. He storms off and you turn around and look at us and go, did you see that? And she said, we thought you broke up right there. And I said, a bird pooped on my arm. We let go of hands, and my man went and found me something to wipe this off with. And I go, boy, I'm going to use that because it's all about perspective, isn't it? You think you know, but you may not have the correct perspective. So there we go. Aren't y'all glad we could laugh a little, cry a little? There we go. So there's your story for the day. So uh, let me ask you this, and maybe you need to turn to the person beside you. I want you to turn to the person beside you, around you, and tell all you remember about the person Luke. Go. The person Luke. What are the things you know about him? Okay. Okay. Were some of the things you said was that Luke was a Gentile? He was Greek, we know because of his name, that he was a doctor, um, for sure, because we know Paul referred to him as our dear friend, the doctor. He was the author of a work that could be referred to as Luke slash Acts. Why? Because it could be viewed, possibly written, as one work divided into two scrolls. It's like Acts is the sequel of Luke. And yet the Gospels, when they were written on their scrolls, were contained typically together in the churches to be read and studied. And Luke became its own. But it was a sequel. I mean, Acts became its own because it was a sequel to Luke. Okay? Now turn to the person beside you and tell all you remember possibly written in pencil of who Theophilus was. Okay. So some of the thoughts, uh, we, we pretty much think he was nobility of some sort. Okay. Could be a man of high nobility that actually employed Luke as his doctor had somehow come in contact with the way or the gospel. And Luke then was released to be a companion of Paul so that he could document everything about the gospel and uh, basically the early church. The other thought was, which I'm tending to lean in more and more, that this was a document written to a high Roman official as an entire defense for Paul and everything that had occurred when Paul faced trial. The other thought was, if you remember, do you remember what Theophilus means? Lover of God, that it was just written in general to all lovers of God. 
Okay. The other thing we talked about is that he says that in his first book, he wrote about everything Jesus began to teach and do up into the time of the ascension. So that means Acts is the continuation of what Jesus did and taught. But how is that possible if only the first nine verses really refer to Jesus? Tell your neighbor. How? How is it possible that the works of Jesus continue? What are some of the things that Jesus promised about the Holy Spirit to the disciples in the upper room? What did he say would happen? Okay, Jesus promised to send another helper, that he was going away to where they could not go, but they did not need to freak out. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got your destination plan. But until now, you think something is coming to an end. It's not coming to an end. You ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see greater works than these. You're going to continue to see what we're doing, but not just through me, not just even through 12, but it's about to blow up and you're a part of something big because the father has sent the promise, the one he has promised um, to clothe you in power. And it is through the power of that Holy Spirit, another helper, one just the same, one like me. And he has promised the Holy Spirit. And so he then goes on to say in Acts, he says in verse 3 we read that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Last week we went back to the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, and we saw it almost seemed, and when I asked my high schoolers the other night, I said, how long before Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension? Most guesses were a few days, because that's how the gospel seems. But the fact is, in Acts, we get way more information. So when we went back to look at chapter 24, we saw that he appeared, right, to the women, who then, Mary Magdalene, being the apostle of the apostle, goes and tells the twelve. In the meantime, he says in that chapter, he appeared to uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus and opened up their mind and began to show how he fulfilled all the scripture from uh, the time of Moses through the prophets. They then go and they go to the disciples and hear that he's already appeared to Peter privately. Can you imagine what that conversation was? Okay, and then we see that all of a sudden he appears to the 12, poof, he appears behind a locked door and he talks to them and then we find out and he, it says that he stayed around, now we know that he stayed around for 40 days and that he is talking about um, the kingdom of God for 40 days. But we find out also that Jesus didn't just appear to his disciples, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, read that when you get a chance. It says that he appeared to over 500 people at once. And Paul says, most of which are all still alive. So let me tell you, if Paul is saying that, if he is preaching that, because now he's had his conversion, which tells us that Paul is saying he also appeared to who? Me. I have seen the risen Lord. But just so you know, so did 500 people at one time, and they're still, most of which are still alive. So what does that mean? Go check. Go talk to them. 
It wasn't but a few days. He appeared to women. He appeared to the uh, men on the road to Emmaus, to his disciples, to Peter personally, to 500 individuals at one time. And he is saying, and he appeared to me. And so we have this happening within the 40 days from Passover to the about 10 days before Pentecost. He was there and he was teaching about the kingdom. What I want you to know is in Acts, it says that he revealed himself with many infallible proofs. Infallible. So that means this is not subjective to one person's eyewitness. Subjective. People have backgrounds, experiences, emotions. A basis that can, sh uh, e emotions, biases that can show up in subtle ways. Often, we may think we are being objective, but there may be subjective influences at play. Let me give you an example. I think that I am pretty objective about my children. And I would say, if, if Hillary were here and she was up here on this stage, and let me tell you what, she's a truth speaker. Too much. Sometimes. You will always know where you stand with that girl. And so she would tell you, I am pretty darn objective about my kids. So, for example, when I talk to her husband, I can be objective. I love him to pieces. I love Hillary to pieces, but I, I know what I raised, right? If anybody knows her well and can assist in understanding, it would be me. But what is the point? I may think, and I might be pretty objective, but what? I still have a bias. I still have emotional. I still have a subjective uh, vein running through. Why? She my baby. And so I say, listen, I can be objective. I can be helpful, but I can't be the one. Like, y'all have to talk to somebody who's completely objective to get, you know, better advice along the way, maybe. And so, but this is not subjective. Do you understand? This is not based on a single person's eyewitness. This isn't about one person's hallucinations. Do you think 500 people at one time had the same hallucination? That is impossible. And so he talks about the fact of the risen Lord, and he says that I have given many infallible proofs. Can you imagine? Their eyes had been opened. Can you imagine within those 40 days the aha moments that they had? Understanding certain things now on the other side of the cross, I would have loved to been there. I love it when I teach, especially like high school, college age kids, and I give them some meat. And I used to have kids go like this to me. It was my favorite. And they'd be like, half power. You just blew my mind, right? Can you imagine sitting with Jesus as his disciple after the death and resurrection? And he is laying out how he is the fulfillment of all scripture, and you're beginning to see things now on the other side of that. Can you imagine? Jesus, you are blowing my mind. I cannot imagine the height of their zeal. They are full, 
And I'm telling you, when I learn something new, I cannot wait. I, I write it down, I highlight it. I cannot wait to get here on a Tuesday and tell y'all what I have seen because it is so excited. So can you imagine the zeal they have to go out and to begin to teach all that they now see so clearly, wondering possibly how did we miss it to begin with, and now we've seen it, and you know what he tells them to do? Wait. I'm sending you, he says. But first, wait. Luke chapter 24 ends the same way. He says it twice. He says it at the end of his gospel, and he says it at the beginning of uh, the book of Acts. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 4 through 5 says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. N.T. Wright says this. Far too often to this day, people blunder ahead, assuming if they know a little about Jesus and about God's kingdom, they can just go off and put things into action in whatever way occurs to them. Luke would tell us to wait, to pray for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and to find our calling and our energy from that source. Henry Blackaby, who wrote one of the greatest Bible studies I have ever participated with, called Experiencing God. It has been vital in so many moments of my life. He says this, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. That is huge. Search the scripture. Not one time did the people that God used come up with their own ministry and decide they have a goal so that they could tell you where they want to be in five years. When I started my ministry, I was so scared, I cannot even begin to tell you. I was having a panic attack, didn't know if it was the right thing to do. I thought, we're going to starve to death. I'm about to quit a job. That's smart. And it was a job, by the way, that taught the Bible. So it was like ministry and a paycheck. I mean, why do you walk away from that? I I was like a, a minister in Christian education. And so here I was about to walk out. And I thought this didn't make any sense. I'm going to starve to death. Because why in the world would people support me when they could be getting what I do for free at church? And I kept asking people, why am I doing this? And they go, because you have a calling to do this. And it will happen. And you need to have faith. And, and here's the thing, you go in to start some of these ministries, and the first question you get is, where do you see yourself in five years? In the bread line. I mean, that's what I wanted to answer. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be in five minutes. I'm not sure that's how ministry works. I don't think I'm supposed to know where I'm going to be in five years. That's a great business plan. But this is, if you want a business plan, this is a dumb decision I'm making. Right? That's the way it is. He goes on to say many people want God to call them to a big assignment. However, they try to bypass the love relationship. The love relationship is why God created you. This is far more important to him than what you do. So anticipate that God will start working with you and drawing you to an intimate love relationship that is real and personal. 
When the love relationship is right, God will be free to begin giving you assignments at his initiative. Whenever you do not seem to be receiving assignments from God, focus on the love relationship and stay there until the assignment comes. I thought, whoa, that's smart, Henry Blackaby. I don't know if you've ever heard that song that goes, wait, wait, wait on the Lord for he hears you. And he wants you to know that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a promise to us. When we wait, let me tell you something about the eagle. The eagle waits. That's the point of this. The eagle builds its nest on the highest spot. He gets as close as he can, as far as he can to the creator. And you know what he does? He goes to the edge of the highest cliff and he waits every muscle tight prepared wait. What is he listening for? The wind, the wind, the breath, the spirit. He's ready and he waits. And when he hears it, do you know what he has to do? And he soars. He doesn't start on the ground and flap and flap and flap and wear himself out. He soars. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The wind is not always in your, at your back right? But he soars. He waits on the Lord. He goes in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And that is the point. And he is telling them, yes, zeal. Oh, you got the zeal. Can't wait, right? The problem is zeal's not enough. Ask Peter. Oh, Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can't do it outside of the relationship with the Holy Spirit. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, John baptized with water. What does that mean? John baptized with water. He was preparing hearts for repentance, for a complete turnaround, something new. The hearts of the Jews, he was preparing to receive their true Messiah. But he says, I'm not baptizing with water. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I'm going to make you new. I'm going to give you abundant life, a deep well. I'm going to clothe you in power. Instead of a renewal which would form them as a restored Israel waiting for their king as they had hoped, this would experience, they would experience a renewal that would restore them as true humanity. This is what I want you to see. 
It wasn't just about restoring Israel to bring their Messiah. It was restoring all of humanity and that which was lost. And that is what the Holy Spirit does when he comes in and awakens us to be born in the Spirit, to be alive in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? That is what it truly is in the original creation to be human is to be tied to the heavenly through the spirit. It's what we lost. We got it back through salvation and our faith and the Lord breathed into us the Holy Spirit and we became alive. It's not about restored Israel, which he is. We're gonna see the restored Israel, but it's about restoring humanity. The point was always through Israel, all nations would be what? Blessed. Bible calls it this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Acts 1.6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember, the Jewish biblical text was always pointing to a redeemer, a king who would one day rise up in the power of God to restore Israel. And the restored Israel would then turn around and do what? Restore the whole earth. That was the idea. All of which um, is summed up basically. Well, let, let me show you some. Look at Psalm 72. This is what they believed. This is what they studied. This is what they knew. This is what was passed down. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. By the way, when you hear righteousness, I want you to think of the right definition. What does righteous mean? To be in right relationship. Simple. Okay? Everything put back in right relationship. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations... May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In the days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlines render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba... And Seba bring gifts, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land 
on tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of who? Israel, who alone does wondrous thing, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And this is the prayers of David, the king, the great king, the son of Jesse. The story has always been that through the redemption of Israel, then would come what? The redemption of the world, all nations. And so when it talks about, when they use the phrase, restore the kingdom of Israel, I want you to know, I believe this entire picture is what is in their mind. So I think people are super hard on the disciples because we view it from perspective. We always think they're being dumb. And often they are, okay? But many will teach this as they still don't get it and that they're interrupting Jesus because that, that really is not <clears throat> the question at hand. And they interrupt him and they ask a dumb question, when are you going to restore Israel like you, don't, like, you know, like you don't understand? I think it is more like a question that when you're driving somewhere, what do your kids always ask? Are we there yet? Okay? I think there... I think they have the correct picture. They just want to know the timeline. Are we there yet? Is it coming? And I think it's actually a pretty smart question considering the things that they know and have been taught because they have just been told that John baptized with water, but Jesus was going to come baptized by the Spirit. And do you know what I think is running around in their mind? Ezekiel 36 and 37. I don't have time to read it to you, so but I want you to go back and read it because it is actually talking about the restoration of Israel, which when you look at it is the restoration of all things when things will be made right. And it says that when they return from all that rebellion and they come together, that they will be washed with water. And not only that, they will be washed with with the Spirit, the Spirit will be poured out on them and that their heart of stone will be taken away because God will put his Spirit in them and give them a heart of flesh. And then it goes on to talk about all things being made right. So when you think about the fact that for 40, they are sitting the risen Lord, real. Touch, see, ate with them, stayed with them for 40 days. He was the same, but what? But different, right? He was able to appear and disappear, right? I don't think that means that he wasn't, uh, you know, actually truly like not body. I think it's a body that we, we don't understand, Okay, and so what we're seeing here is they're talking about this, and now he's just said, I'm about to pour out my spirit. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so their question is, oh, then guess what's next? It's all going to happen. The redemption, you're going to restore Israel, and you're going to restore the world. So when is this going to happen? And remember, Jesus is the restored Israel. He is. 
Jesus did on the cross what Adam could not do to bring the kingdom of heaven throughout the earth. He failed miserably. Jesus did what Abraham and the nation of Israel could not do. He came and he is going to blow doors he, by the spirit. He is going to bless all nations, bring them to redemption. And so he is the true Israel. Think about this. He came out of Egypt. He passed through the waters. He was tested in the wilderness. Do you understand? And he has come to usher in a new kingdom, his kingdom. Apostle, by the way, is one of the words Luke uses to regularly describe the 12. Or as they're now 11. But originally it was 12. Whom Jesus had chosen to be his special witnesses. The reason why there are 12 of them seems pretty obvious to anyone who understands Jewish culture and history. There had been 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus was signaling in his choice of 12 close followers that God had called him to renew and restore the people of Israel. So with all of that in mind, I don't think the question's so shocking. And by the way, and I think it's Revelation 21 when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, the foundation, the 12 foundation stones are the 12 tribes of Israel and the gates into the kingdom are the 12 what? Apostles, which 12 times 12 is 144. And in poetic language, one day is like a thousand years elsewhere. 144 times 1,000 is 144,000 witnesses. It is the manifold beauty of the body of Christ. It is a redeemed humanity. It is the picture of God's church, God's body, and is beautiful. He says, it is your job to be my witness, to proclaim to the world what you have seen, who Jesus was, what he taught, how he lived that he was crucified and raised. You saw him, you touched him, you ate with him, and he taught you about the kingdom. And it's your job to show the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And boy, did they see that. They were changed. Do you understand that? They were changed. And we're going to see that in a huge way. They were changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to clothe you in power. That word power in the Greek is dynamis. The Greek word dynamis entered the English language when uh, the Swedish chemist and engineer Alfred Barnhard Nobel made a discovery which basically changed our world. He created an exploding power we had never seen before. And what happened is he went to his friend and he said, what is the Greek word for explosive power? And he said, dynamis. And he goes, great, I'm going to name my creation after that. And it was dynamite. Okay? An exploding power. Boyce says this, it refers not to the power one has by intrinsic or even delegated authority, although these are important kinds of power, but to the explosive, life-changing dynamic of the Holy Spirit operating through the proclamation of the gospel. I am not ashamed, the Bible says what, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dynamite. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. 
This isn't political power. <laughs> That's what the disciples wanted. Remember? How do we know that? They argued about it all the time. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to have the power? It wasn't political power. I thought this was so interesting. There's a guy by the name of Jacques Elilial. Elil. He is, uh, was a French writer, and he wrote something called The Political Illusion. So see, I try to talk to you spiritual people, you academic people, you political people. I try to, you know, poke all kinds, parts of your brain, but I thought this was so interesting. It says, Eliel calls political power an illusion created by politicians because they want to be thought of as powerful and by the media who feed off of it. Not that there isn't power within the state, God established the state to protect the innocent, punish the guilty, defend against oppression both within and without. But political power is an illusion to think that because a person possesses political office, somehow he or she can control events, change things, and produce reformation in the world. Power for change comes from a different source entirely. What I thought was funny as I read that, you know who Chuck Colson is? Okay. He actually read that book. He said it was the greatest political book he'd ever read. And so he wanted to send that to all of his friends in government. And he went to get it to send to his friends. It was no longer in print. And so he says this, which is an indication that even the evangelical publishers have bought into this political illusion. <clears throat> what is it, though, that really changes the world? Well, if you ask secular people, um, they would say an idea. If you've been watching Ashley Wooldridge's series on sexuality, you have seen part of that in the sense that if we can change thinking, if we can change the thinking, and we can do that through ideas, we can change the world. Because what do we know about actual, like, armies or that kind of power? It doesn't change anything. All that does is transfers power from one to another right? Money doesn't change things either. It could be a part of it, but it doesn't change things. Uh, and to be quite honest, laws don't. I hate to tell you, but do you remember when we outlawed alcohol? That worked, right? Matter of fact, statistics say that when, uh, during the time of prohibition, it actually got worse. Hello? Is that not the way we were, were created and that what Paul talks about in his, in his scriptures? Changes occur when ideas possess people's minds. So think about this in the spiritual. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. That word conform is two Greek words, meta-schema. Meta means change. Schema means your outer person, your behavior, how you live. It's the Shannon you see. Do not change that outer person. Do not conform to the pattern of this world any longer, it says. But be transformed, which is the two Greek words, metamorphe. Sound familiar? Okay. It is a change from the inside out into something new. And he is commanding you to do something, but yet it is in the passive, so uh, it's something you can't do. 
He's commanding you to do something you can't do. That's wrong. No, he's commanding you. He said, I am commanding you to allow me to transform you from the inside out into something new. How? By the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think, right? And so that is what he's saying. If you do any research in psychology and parents, you need to listen to me because I am telling you that extrinsic motivation does not work. It is nothing but behavior modification. Setting up the boundaries, and we have to do that while they're young. We have to protect them. But then there comes a point, extrinsic motivation, outside motivation, patterning your outward self. Listen, it doesn't work. It only works when it is intrinsic. It is inside of them. So we have got to, somewhere along the way, halt on the behavior modification and get to the heart. Because if we don't change the heart and the mind, there's no true change. There's no permanent change. Real change comes when the Holy Spirit uses the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of this whole narrative that we're talking about. That Jesus came, that we might have life abundant. He paid our debt. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit so we could be born again. And we could once again be true humanity to be able to live in the Spirit is the most beautiful. To regenerate fallen men and women, causing them to repent of their sin. What was the sin, by the way? Because it doesn't say sins. To repent of their sin. What was the first one? That I am God. That what I think and feel, that what I desire is what? Right. It's God. He said, repent, turn from that, and seek righteousness. What did I say that meant? Right relationship. And live for Jesus. Live out To live out what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be living as if the redemption has already happened because it's happened where? In us. The kingdom of God is spiritual or heavenly. This is what Jesus tells Pilate. I want to read you something from N.T. Wright because I think it's beautiful. And I think I skipped it. And I don't want to. You need to understand that word heavenly. In the Bible, heaven is not a location within our own cosmos or space, time and matter. Heaven and earth are the two halves of God's created reality. Heaven is God's dimension, and earth is ours. From the ascension onward, the story of Jesus' followers take place in both dimensions. Heaven may be our temporary home after this present life, but the whole new heaven and earth combination, united and transformed, is our eventual destination. Read Revelation 21. Read Ephesians when he talks about bringing earth and heaven united together. 
The risen body of Jesus is the first and so far the only object which is fully at home in both spheres, anticipating the time when everything will be renewed and joined together. Jesus has gone into God's dimension of reality, but he will be back on the day when that dimension and our present one are brought together once and for all. That promise hangs in the air over the whole Christian history from that day to this, and that is what it means by second coming. That is what it means. It is not that we pray, check a box, we're saved from hell, and we're taken away from this place, and a heaven far away is our home. No, what it is, is we will return with the Lord because he has promised that the whole narrative, that all which he created will be redeemed. And we're a part of it. But one day, those two dimensions will come together in reality. Praise the Lord for that. They would be witnesses to this. Wit, W-I-T, means to know. That's the verb. A wit is a knowledgeable person. A witness is one who knows something and testifies about it. You see, here's the thing. We don't advance the kingdom through money. We don't advance the kingdom through laws, which means force. We don't even advance the kingdom through miraculous signs and wonders. We don't. Because very often, that causes chaos. I mean, I told you all the story of me having to get hit on the forehead twice. Right? This whole thing that the evidence of the Spirit are these great uh, emotional miraculous signs and wonders, the fact that, you know, I'm going to be thrown on the ground. And I truly believe if God wants me on the ground, I'm down there. You don't have to hit me twice, right? That's not about the Holy Spirit. That's about show and the pride of that person that is happening. Let me tell you what is going to expand kingdom and be evidence of the Holy Spirit, and that is a transformed life. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit will be our witness in word and in deed, and how we live, and how we love, because we're about to see that these guys were absolutely transformed. Something had happened. They were changed. They lived contrary to their old selves. There was a mark that had happened. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is lifted up indicating to the disciples that he was not headed for somewhere beyond the moon in the solar system, somewhere beyond Mars. I used to wonder that as a kid. Did anybody else? Like, where did he go? How far, right? The fact is, it wasn't that. It was that he was going to God's space. He was going to the heavenly dimension, that side of reality that we can't yet See, the cloud, what do you think the cloud symbolizes? Pick up on all these symbolisms after all this time with me, right? When you hear cloud, what are some of the things you think about? 
the cloud by day and the fire by night. It talks about the cloud represents the presence of God. Remember, he led them through the wilderness. Do you remember when the cloud ascended on Mount Sinai? Yes. When he gave the Ten Commandments and the presence of the Lord was so great for them, like they couldn't even handle it. They're like, I tell you what, we got a great idea, Moses. We're going to stay home. You go talk to God. And then you come back and tell us what he said. Right? They actually did not desire to be in that presence of God. What about when the smoke filled the temple? That something new was happening. It represented the presence of God. And I, oh, how I hope that when you see that he was taken on the clouds, what else should have popped in your mind? Did anybody happen to study the book of Daniel with Mary Shannon Hawkpower last year? If you do not right now say that it makes you think of Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to lose my noodles. What? Come on. What was the vision? Vision. Daniel has a vision. And he sees the four winds come and stir up the great sea. And out of the sea come four vicious beasts. And they represent the empires of the world, right? And they're trampling over the innocent. They are building earthly empires with violence and oppression. But yet one comes forward. One like the Son of Man. And he is taken up on the clouds and he is presented to the ancient of days. And what? He is given all dominion. He is given a kingdom and it is an eternal kingdom. Kingdom, And he is given dominion over all things. Hello. And do you remember in Matthew, I believe it was, well, I don't know, 24, 25, 6, somewhere in there, that he was saying to the religious leaders, <clears throat> right? I'll tell you who I am. I am the son of man. What was he saying to them? You're the beast. You become the beast. Jerusalem has become Babylon because you built an earthly empire. That's what you've done. And you've done it through oppression and trampling over the innocent and for power, so much so that you're about to crucify your Messiah, the true king. But I tell you, I am the son of man. I am the king. I will be vindicated one day when everything I say happens and the destruction of your temple happens because I am the king. This right here, his ascension, is Jesus taking his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is seated on the throne. He is king. And part of our job, and we're going to see with the disciples, is that we are heralds. And what we are to do is we are out to tell the world 
The king has come. He is seated on his throne and he has established a heavenly kingdom and we're a part of it. We are a part of something. And I'm going to tell you for me, the only way that the two verses that I talked about are the two truths that I talked about is in this world, you will have trouble. And I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The only way those two things could possibly work together is if I believe this narrative and I'm a part of something big and that is redeeming this place because my hope, my hope is for the redemption of all things. That is where our hope lies. We are part of something big and we need to quit settling into this world and we need to get about our business. And the only way that we can honestly do that is by showing a transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can do that is to lean into that vine. Because it is not you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit through you at work. And that is why Acts never ends, because you're a part of it. It is the continued work of Jesus through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what will they see? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I always tell my high school kids, I am, you're going to faint when I say this. Maybe we'll cut this out. I am less concerned. I'm concerned for you because it's not your best life. But I am less concerned with, are you smoking and drinking and sleeping with your boyfriend? I am the most concerned with, do you know Jesus? Do you understand the relationship with him? how he loves you, how he wants to have a deep relationship with you. And what will happen in that as you lean in is he will begin to transform your life on the inside. He will change your thinking. He will change your heart. And you will begin to metamorphe and change. And here's the thing. Are you displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which are the fruits that that spirit is there? Do I see that? And as you lean in, guess what? All that other stuff, it'll start changing too. But it won't be because of extrinsic motivation of the guilt of us telling you don't do this or you're awful or you're a chewed up piece of bubble gum or all of these things. No, it is because your heart and thinking will change. Because no matter what, if I live outside of my belief system, I'm not good. I want to be. Don't you sometimes? Like, Lord, just let me be bad. But here's, and a counselor can tell you, why do you do that to yourself? Let yourself be, fr I'm like, okay. And we can talk, honestly, and I can. We can talk about patterns and blah, 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 but, but you and I don't see eye to eye on this. It doesn't matter what your belief system is. It matters what mine is. Because the fact is, if I live contrary to my belief system, I got a Holy Spirit in there that won't let me just be okay with it. Now, I can shut him up for a long time. How about you? But if you sit down with him and you're quiet and still, so bossy, and it's not okay, that's a sign. I'm a child of God. 
I'm alive in Christ. And the only way that I live out true humanity in its original creation is when I lean into the heavenly. As witnesses, our story is in the earthly realm and it is in the heavenly realm, both. And so aren't you ready for this journey? You're like, we have been through maybe nine, 10 verses. It's okay. It's gonna get faster in the story. I always take five weeks to do the introduction. Okay, so read through, continue to read through chapter one. I hope you are journaling. I hope you are writing it and you're on the other side writing your questions. I hope you are inviting your friends. Because I'm going to tell you, Acts is a really good place uh, to start, even in a new journey with Jesus, to understand your salvation, to understand um, what actually the gospel of the kingdom is, because we've dumbed it down in America, to be quite honest. Bring your friends. Sometimes you can bring a friend to Bible study, and I know I'm over their head at times, but you know what? It's okay. Push them a little. I try to talk about some secular interest within the, the spirituality, push them. And not only that, it creates a dynamic conversation if you then take your friend to lunch. Also, don't miss, there is Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, and there is Wednesday morning, and I'm always in the same uh, basic area in the scripture. So don't miss. Stay committed. So good to see you this morning. If you think about it, say a prayer for me. It's a rough week. Uh, Thursday is Zachary's birthday, and I'm just going to crawl through the week, and that's just the way it's going to be. So just pray, but how thankful I am that he is absolutely in the heavenly realm with Jesus in that realm. And one day, my faith will be sight, and we will be together. But until then, it's pretty much uh, just devastating, excruciating to live through that. So may we all, even in deep grief, be able to have great joy. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for these women that we get together and we study your word. Man, you really meant it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame so that you could sit at the right hand of God the Father as king, king of kings and lord of lords, that you could be all things new, that you were restored Israel, and that through you, you would not just restore Israel, but all of humanity into our creation that we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. And yes, we battle because on this earth, we are spirit and flesh and they are at war. But God, to live out true humanity, to be truly human is to live in the spirit. And when we live in the spirit, the fruit that is produced that people see is predominantly a love they cannot understand, love and a joy even though we live in this hard world, and a peace when there seems to be anxiety everywhere, and patience, oh Lord, how I need patience, that we exhibit the fruits of a changed life. We're different. We are different. And so God, may we go out in this world and be different, but we can't do that without hanging out with you 
a lot on a daily basis in that loving relationship. God, I love you. Be with these women in Jesus' name. Amen. You can totally leave if you have to. You don't have to listen to me. I just have a couple things I wanted to say. I talked to you before I had to go get my car changed. Shannon will be at North Hills Church on Sunday at 1030. If you don't know where that is, it's near the 51. Um, the address is 16420 North 22nd Street. She'll be teaching Psalms. Um, if you would like to um, share this sermon with some friends that are not here, go to her website. It's maryshannon.org. You can share the video. You can watch right there. You can listen to the podcast right online. So um, if you don't know, if someone wants to attend, maybe they want to just check her out online, feel free to share her website. Um, that has all her information on it as well. If you'd like to contribute um, to Shannon's ministry financially out on the table, there are giving cards as well as envelopes. Um, but if you can't give financially, what Shannon really needs is prayer. So continue to pray for her. We'll be praying for her this week. And as she continues her busy season, have a blessed day and we'll see you all next Tuesday.